At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness that I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, just take my words. Let us forget those that you want, don't need us to hear, but may we hear only your message for each of us today. Amen. Right, names of God. And so today it's El Olam, and I, I read that El comes from El Ohim, strong creator, and Olam is to do with age and time. So it's creator God who is for all time, who is forever. And sometimes the Olam is written as Alam, which means mystery or hidden God. Okay, there you have it. It only appears, this name, in this one story. Um, the, the psalmist seems to have got the, the, the idea of, of, of a lamb of everlasting, because they use it over and over. And there's a nice one in Psalm 90. Uh, it says, before the mountains were born, or before you brought forth the earth and the world, 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So this is, today we're thinking of the God who was before all creation, who is here and now in the present with us in our lives, and who promises to be with us always. God is beyond all time. I was, I was amused by um, a, an email I received from Alistair, who was preparing the, um, the songs for today, and he said, I've read through the reading for this Sunday, and I'm baffled. And uh, I thought, I know exactly where you're coming from, Alistair. I'm baffled. And we read this at staff meeting, and we were all baffled. So you've got, it's, 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 it's an anticlimax, isn't it, this one? So it's such a big name for God. And yet, yet it's at the end, tacked on like a postscript, at the end of this funny little story. Um, you've got uh, Abraham and Abimelech um, settling a, a, a minor altercation over a well and, uh, in Negev. And they, there are a lot of animals involved. They, they exchange huge gifts of, of cattle. And they come to an agreement on squatters' rights for Abraham. They shake hands, and Abraham plants a, a tamarisk tree and prays to the eternal God. And then the other two who were there go home. <laughs> what is going on here? Well, um, I think the clue is, is in the first words of the story. At that time suggests there's, there's a context, there's a backstory. Some other stuff is going on in Abraham's life. And so I think before we, we try and settle what's happening in this story, let's just look back a bit and let's look at those names of God because I think they help a lot. And th this, all these names of God come together in this name of God, in this God eternal, this God with mystery. So we, we started with um, El Elyon, God Most High. Um, Paul calls him God, God, super God. And so, yes, so this is the God who was before all things, the God who created the universe. So we started with the, with the universal, right? And, and there God had a plan, a master plan for the universe and for all humanity. We, we pray, hallowed be your name, like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, don't we? And that's his plan, that we, that we live together in love and harmony with him, with each other, and with all creation. But, but God's plan for humanity didn't seem to get off to a very good start. Um, the, 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 the people he created were all over the show. So he said, right, right okay, start again. Um, we, we need to have a, perhaps, we, maybe we need to get together a team. Maybe that's, it's, it's, it's too much. We're all over the show with everybody doing it. Let's get together a team. Um, so we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll have a, a nation, um, a special people who will, can work with me through the years, through the, through the centuries even. But God does time rather differently from us. Um, for, for hundreds of years, and, and they will understand where I'm coming from, and they'll share my vision and so they can work with me to get it right. And they're going to need their own land because they don't want to be taking orders from somebody else. So um, it's getting together 
the story of the ancestors of those people, the Jews, chosen. And, and so we come down from the universal to the particular. God chooses one man, an ordinary man, Abraham, and says, leave your father's land and go to Canaan. That's where Palestine is now. Um, go to Canaan and I will give that land to your offspring. Do you know what kept coming to mind when I was writing this? Was, are you a robot? Did you ever, has that ever come up on your screen? And you've got to, you've got to decide whether there's a, which picture has a, a bridge in it. I can, I can never do those. And then they think, well, does that make me a robot? Or do, the, the robots should be able to get it right, shouldn't they? Anyway, uh, but I thought, um, it, it's, sorry. Um, so they think, well, God, um, <laughs> that's all right, it's more entertaining with that. <laughs> um, but God didn't make robots, He made human beings. So the story gets a bit messy because that's how human beings are. So, um, yes, yeah, so we've started with the, the God Most High, but now we come down to the God with us, Elroy. The God who's very close. The God who's here now in this church. Um, the God who sees me. The God who hears me. Particularly when I'm in trouble. And, and in this story, I know tell the story of how, how God um, sits down, puts his arm around Hagar. The little slave girl, she's pregnant. She's run away from, from home, from, from Sarah. And, and Abraham, who were treating him very, very badly. I told you it would be messy. Um, they, and, and, she, and she she's set off for home for Egypt. She's pregnant. She's, she's desperate. And so God sits down with her, puts his arm around her and says, Come on, love. I'll get you back home. I'll look after you, though. It'll be all right. And I'll look after your child. I'll look after Hagar when he's born. And it's be fine. God who is with us, who sees us, who hears us. Hagar means the one who hears me. Um, and, and, and there are other stories that we haven't actually read which, which, in which God is just there. And they're very um, intimate. Um, God actually pops in for, for tea one day. God's, Abraham says, Sarah, get, tidy up, get the kettle on, make some scones. God's coming to tea. And, and there's another story where, where he... God tells Abraham that Sarah's going to have a child. And she giggles. And God says, why are you laughing? And she says, I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, she did. No, I didn't. And, um, and when the child is born, they call him laughter. They call him Isaac. So God with us. And then with the one we heard last week from Mike, El Shaddai, God Almighty, who makes that covenant with Abraham as he'll be the, the father. If he does what God tells him, he'll be the father of, of many nations. And through this God Almighty, he makes the impossible happen. A child for Sarah. By this time, both Abraham and Sarah are well past childbearing age. So he's the all-powerful God, the God whose love 
never changes. And now we come to El Olam. And I'm going to say, before I go on with the, the bit about the story, I'm going to say, El Olam is Jesus Christ. You've only got to look in the first chapter of John, and you'll see him there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, was God and the Word was God. And say, within the beginning with God, and by him all things were made. And in him was life, the light of humankind. And then we're told that the word became flesh and came to live among us. And we're also told in that same chapter that to anyone who believes on his name, he gives the light, the right to be the children of God. This is the mystery God, and he promises to be with us always. This is the mystery God who came to live among us, Jesus Christ. However, it doesn't solve um, El's problem. It doesn't solve the problem of this story, does it? How does El Olam come to feature in this story? So Abraham's in Negev, in Canaan. He's in a di diplomatic negotiation with Abimelech, the king, and his military, military commander. Now, they seem to be making a, a covenant agreement, setting out Abraham's right to settle in the land, as God had promised. And so this is a reminder of the covenant between God and Abraham. So perhaps that's why Abraham plants a tree, because God's, for, sorry, God's forever promise is being fulfilled. The baby's been born. Isaac's been born. He's about two years old by this time. Um, and Abraham's pitched his tent here. And for the time being, in the land promised to him. So perhaps that's what they're celebrating. God's plan being worked out. But you know, I think there's more to it than that. If you just look at Abimelech's words, he says this, he says, I'll remind you of it. He says, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness that I have shown to you. I think Abimelech's saying, remember, you are here as my guest. You're welcome, but there have to be ground rules. Be kind, be honest, be courteous to other people. I don't want a repetition of what happened when you first arrived. So, here's the backstory. This is an epiphany for a light bulb moment for Abraham. This conversation with Abimelech has made him grasp that he, that he really does have a significant role in the realization of God's master plan and that twice he's very nearly blown it. In the early days, at God's bidding, he traveled through 
alien lands. And at that time, Abraham made a despicable practice of passing Sarah off as his sister, using her to protect his own skin. He, he says to her, and the words are there, if you, if you really love me, you do this for me. You tell everybody, you're my sister. I'll tell them you're, you're, you're my sister. Uh, and, and because you're a beautiful woman, and, and, and if, if any man wants you, and you're married to me, you'll have to kill me. Excuse me, what about Sarah? <laughs> so he did it in Egypt with terrible consequences. Pharaoh took her to be his wife. God had to put a stop to that very quickly. And he did it again in Negev. And this time it was Abimelech who took her home to be his wife. And once again, God intervened. And God appeared to him in a dream. He says, Abimelech, you are as good as dead. You've taken a man's wife. And Abimelech's horrified. He said, I didn't know. I, I haven't touched her. And he hadn't. I haven't touched her. But, but, but I didn't know. She said... She was his sister. He said she was his sister. God says, just give her back and you'll be okay. And Abimelech does just that. And he does it with huge gifts of cattle to Abraham and a generous dowry for Sarah. But he berates Abraham for what he's put him through for the danger that Abraham has put him and, and his subjects under. I'm actually going to read that bit to you in chapter 20. I just... Um, and so, after this dream, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials when he told them all what had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never have been done. What was your reason for doing this? And Abraham says, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. So that's how it goes on. This is the man chosen to be the beginning of God's master race. What a way for him to behave. God... Abraham's gone blundering through alien lands on God's mission, using his wife as a human shield, dishonoring her, disrespecting his host. So I think, what I think God is saying here is, Abraham, that is not my way. Just listen. Listen 
to this man. Abimelech is not of our faith, but I created him in my image as I did you. It is through his grace, his generosity, his hospitality that my master plan for eternity will be realized. My promise for Sarah to have your child nearly founded on your arrogance, on your belief that you could do it your way. All you had to do was trust me. Trust me. And so I think this little ceremony at Beersheba is celebrating the mystery of God's saving grace. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, we pray. It will, sometimes through us, but possibly often in spite of us. Sometimes we try to do it under our own steam. Ultimately, it's God who has to be in control. We can't do it. So that's why we've come full circle. God's eternal plan for the human race, for you, for me, can only be realized through Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And by trusting and believing in, him, in his name, we have chosen to be chosen. Just a thought for us to take away of what Abraham learned, humility. I think sometimes we get it wrong too. And being chosen to do God's work, to be engaged in God's wonderful plan, if we're not careful, that can very easily lead to arrogance, to a them and us mentality those who are in and those who are out. We think sometimes we know it all and we know very little. God is so much bigger, so much huger, so much more eternal beyond time, beyond our imagining than we can ever believe. We don't know it all. And other people sometimes know other things. I'll tell you a couple of little stories before I finish. One's a, a, a story told to Jews by Jews. It's not in the, it's not in the Bible. Um, it's about when, um, when, when the Israel, Israelites were rescued from Egypt. And they, they came to the Red Sea and the seas parted. And they got through and they were safe on the other side. And the seas came back and the um, Egyptians who were pursuing them were drowned. And in this story, the Israelites... They on a party. They celebrated. And God came to the party and said, Why are you celebrating while my children are perishing in the water? My children are perishing in the water. I'm going to tell you another story. Um, when I go and see my cousin, they live in a beautiful little village in, in Cumbria. 
There's, there's, there's a church there, not unlike this one. It's, a, it's an Oxford, um, it's an Oxford movement church with a, with a big room screen with a, with, with a crucifix on it. It's, it's not quite as big as this, but not, not far short. And it's in this tiny, tiny village. And, uh, and, and the vicar there is, is getting very worried because it's, it's, it's a small congregation, uh, an, an aging, diminishing congregation, and he's responsible too for lots of other little churches around. So he really has got a big, big worry. Um, and the person he talks to about it, and the person who's trying to help him manage his money for it, is, is my cousin's husband, Joe. Joe turns up in the pews every week and sings along with all the hymns. But Joe's a Jew. He's not a converting Jew. He is a Jew. And yet he was totally sympathetic with, with what's going on in this church. And he really wants to help. And he's very, very good friends with the vicar. And so, yeah, he manages the money. And they talk through all the issues. Now, I don't know how the Church of England would feel about um, Joe being co-opted onto their PCC, they'd probably, he'd probably be in big trouble. But you know, I don't think God minds because he's just helping for the gospel to be preached in Cumbria, in that little village and the little villages around. I think God's quite pleased with it, really. I'm just going to leave you with some words. Um, not my words. I'll tell you in a minute who they're by. And they're these. The test of faith is whether I can make space for difference. Can I recognize God's image in someone who is not in my image? Whose language, faith, ideals, I can probably add other things to, to that, are different from mine. If I cannot, I have made God in my image instead of allowing him to make his, to make me in his. I'll read it again. Let's have a little think about it. The test of faith is whether I can make space for difference. Can I recognize God's image in someone who is not in my image, whose language, faith, ideals are different from mine. If I cannot, I have made God in my image instead of allowing him to make me in his. I don't know if that speaks to you or not. It's, um, it, it's written, it's a little book about 20 years ago when it was first published. It was written, it's called The Dignity of Difference. And it's written by Jonathan Sachs, who was the chief rabbi at the time. I'm going to pray. Lord, you made us in your image. You made all those around us in your image. Sometimes we mar that image. Sometimes we're blind to that image in each other. Lord, you are so big, you are so mysterious, you are so beyond 
our comprehension. Give us humility to know that we know you a little and we're trying to know you more, but we don't know all. Only you know. So Lord, yes, give us humility and give us your vision of your image in all of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.